thankful to be back with you this evening. We, uh, I believe, had a good beginning last night on fundamental issues. The heart is as fundamental as it gets, and we must maintain as our prayer expressed a humble attitude toward God, a thankfulness, a fervency for what He's done. And then we must watch our attitude toward our brethren. I will tell you frankly, in my life as a Christian, working with my brethren has always been the most challenging aspect of being a Christian. And I'm sure that you talk about blame, that probably goes on both sides of the coin. Kind of like marriage, uh, you always are challenged. And I pray, as we mentioned last night, if the Lord is our passion, then every brother and sister in Christ are vitally important. And I will be careful how I teach, how I speak. But I must work to have unity in terms of what the Lord has said. Tonight I've got a provocative title. And Stephen will let you know our conclusion here. You might have to go back to Birmingham, you know. Uh, just kidding. Should the North Columbus Church of Christ exist? I do this at the University Church. I've had to, should the University Church of Christ exist? And I, I do that for, for every one of us. Why are we here? People in the world go, oh, you're meeting here? Well, there's a church nearby. Maybe there's a bunch of churches nearby. Why do you think you need to meet here and not be a part of some nearby church? Could you answer that? I found that some raised in the church sometimes don't quite have the answer, and that's okay. Let's talk about it. And by the way, if we shouldn't exist, and the Lord's will is that we shouldn't, and do that, let's do that, whatever the Lord wants. And so as we talk about this, it really, we're really trying to talk about what God wants us to be. Tonight's lesson, in the most simple form possible, is I'm trying to teach tonight about what it means for Jesus to be Lord. If we understand that, based on God's character, based upon how He communicates to us, here is our goal. Not to have the negative side of this, but the positive side where Jesus says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? How does God communicate to us? If we don't know that question, we cannot know Jesus as Lord. And I will tell you, my brother, there is a multitude of views that are in the religious world, and there's a multitude of views occurring amongst churches, again, that broadly call themselves churches of Christ. Uh, that again, I'm not. I'm trying to be. I'm today. We're trying to be brethren. We're trying to be the Lord. We're I'm trying to be the Lord's body. Uh, we're trying to follow the Lord. And I'm not trying to speak of the Church of Christ in any denominational sense as I use it. I'm speaking of those who are in the body of Christ who made Jesus as their Lord. But we need to know how the Lord teaches us because you know how all of us are affected we talked last night about prejudice and background we all experience the pull of our own backgrounds and we experience the pull of the culture what do we mean when we talk about culture culture is values where do you get them from Jesus talked about the ruler of this world and Satan <laughs> In John 14.30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. 
The protection of our heart, the taking in of God's Word in our heart, is the major struggle, the great blessing, if we can find it, that we know the will of the Lord. Let's talk about that and the various views that are expressed. There's so many ways that we can talk about why we must know. There are but one, as you read in Ephesians 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And we, we have to discern. There is a doctrine. There is a teaching. There are words delivered to us. And it's distinctive. It requires getting into the Word of God. And guess what? It requires studying and learning. It requires being confused and maybe taking a wrong position and learning that which is right. It requires great patience. But tonight we're going to talk about those things that would be essential for us to be considered a church of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, again, I'm going to be just mentioning this. We're not studying baptism tonight. But as you're talking about what comprises a local church and how one would be in the body of Christ, there is a way to enter the body of Christ. I'm telling you right now, many of my brethren are abandoning this. Uh, where I'm in Auburn, as we see people come from various churches, we're seeing people going back to the pool of the world, to the pool of wanting to be approved by the, the religions of men. But the Bible still says baptism is a vital step in coming into the body of Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we've all been made to drink of one Spirit. We need to know what that one baptism is. It's going to require study. It involves controversy. But we need to know and we need to stand on it. How does God direct us? As I've mentioned, there would be two areas at least, and many more, the, the ones of Ephesians 4 would be a, sufficient to me to give a general outline of, of why we exist as a local church. But in Acts 2, 38 and 39, some people would say, now why don't you go, let's say, to the church that I was raised in. I was raised as a Baptist. And I appreciate some great things taught within the Baptist church or some foundations I've learned. I have nothing but pleasant memories. But one of the big issues that I faced is they were teaching people they would have people pray for salvation and receive Jesus by prayer and then maybe later that night or later that month that they would be baptized. There was no urgency in baptism because they had a different view of the place and purpose of baptism. I look at Scripture, Acts 2.38, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Here is God's promises. There's an urgency to it. Does it matter? I want to assure you one of the reasons this group exists is because there is a stand upon the words delivered by God that we want to stand on that and teach the gospel as has been revealed. But again, our study tonight is not on baptism. But I want to tell you, Okay, as I mentioned last night, when Brother Urban Lee was answering the question, what do your brethren believe on such and such a question? And he said years ago, they take both sides of every issue, and that's true today. And brethren, not the authority. 
And we need to understand the purpose. Let me just mention something again. This is this study's not on baptism tonight. But I'll never forget why I left the Baptist Church. I was at the University of Alabama. I went to visit on a Wednesday night service and I heard a basic presentation on the plan of salvation. And I'll never forget, like I'm going, wow, this is why, this is obvious. And I remember the next week I took notes and I came back and I talked with this man, Brother Ron Gosen. And before class started, I said, Ron, this has been an amazing study. I agree with you. That baptism is necessary for salvation. Thank you for teaching me that. But I've already been baptized. You know what he did? He went and talked to somebody else, had him teach the class. And he took me to another room. And he started reading Acts 19 to me. And he began to point out that not just any baptism is the one baptism. For what purpose were you baptized? Acts 19 is an example of that. Again, I'm only going to just read one verse here, but you can read this later for your study, where Paul asked the question after they didn't know where there was a Holy Spirit. Verse 3 says, Into what then were you baptized? You can be immersed in water, and it not be the baptism of Christ. Understanding the purpose and place. And later, these people were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I remember the next, about a week or two later, I obeyed the gospel on Sunday night. Never to turn back from the stand of being undenominational. Could we go back to the Bible and be that? I believe that's what this church is trying to do. Now, as you do that, we may be mistaken on some things. We need to learn. We, we, we may have to, have to correct some things. There, there, it's a process of learning. We're not perfect. But we want to know how to get into the body of Christ, understand the gospel, and be molded by that truth. And it's challenging. Now the second major point, and the point of our study tonight, is this question. Do we need authority for all that we teach and practice? And I want to tell you, that is a stand that is rare. That is a stand, as I develop this here, that would make this church quite unique in this area. I'm not saying there are others that may not, but I'm saying generally speaking, we talk about broad religious groups. Most religious groups take this position, that they would have the liberty to do anything they wish as long as it is not specifically condemned. And that's where I came from, the Baptist position. And so, and there's a lot of people believe that. They say, look, you can do anything in the Lord. You have liberty in the Lord to do anything unless it's condemned. And so that's how they would view organization. They would work in the church. And again, if that is their position, they are consistent in it. And so some of the things you could do, you could, as one writer said this, typically men start with a human idea of good work and then ask, what's wrong with it? If then they do not find it specifically condemned in Scripture, they begin to practice it. And so again, if that is the view of Scripture, I want to know that and I'll stand on that and I'll repent. But the Bible does tell us about these things. You know, if you can do anything that's not specifically condemned, then what you see in the religious world is very consistent. The practice of instrumental music, the practice of singing groups, the practice of adding things to worship, the practice of uh, having a separate priesthood, a clergy-laity distinction. I mean, it's not specifically condemned, and you can just add layer on layer. 
And I believe morals are impacted by this stand, too. You start study moral issues, that view is going to impact that. But now here's where I stand. And I want to say, brethren, tonight, we have to deal with this question. This question is foundational to any issue we may study. If we disagree on this question, we need to take the time necessary to work through this one. Because if we don't, you're not going to solve any other question. You really won't. Let me tell you why I believe we should give authority for all that we teach and practice. Now, historically, I think these verses would be sufficient, but we're going to give you a lot more verses tonight. You look at the Scripture. You look at the nature of God. Everything that God does is perfect. And He gave us a word that was perfect. God being holy, everything He does is perfect. And we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, a verse I know you're familiar with, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe the Scripture is being perfect that we stay within it. That I can find the good works in Scripture and I do those and only those. <coughs> Colossians 3.17, we sang the song a moment ago. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. So I'm introducing this to you. <coughs> and I want to tell you, I won't be upset with you if you have a different view. I'd like to talk about it. I, I want to be patient with this. I want to give you a lot of arguments. There are a lot of things here, but let's be sure. We've got to get this down first before we talk about anything else or, or we're not going to be able to go anywhere. Let's talk about God's eternal plan. We all want to look at Jesus and look at his ministry. Here are some verses we commonly do not use in this study, and I think we ought to. I think it's very powerful. Jesus during his ministry, and I'm only giving you a few verses. There's so many more. Jesus over and over and over again talks about his father and his relationship to his father and words that his father gave him. John 5:19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Let that sink in. But what he sees the Father do, whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Why does Jesus talk about his relationship to the Father? He talks about that a lot. But notice here he's trying to teach this point. I teach nothing except what's given to me. I do nothing except what's given to me. I believe Jesus is trying to show us how to have a relationship with the Father. Tremendous humility, a complete emptiness, a receiving of words that become extraordinarily precious to us. <coughs> John 6.63, we see Jesus teaching this, the importance of the words that the Father gave him that he del delivers. It says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And even Peter acknowledged this. I love verse 68. Everybody got upset with Jesus. He's confusing. It's too complicated. They said that about Jesus' teaching. 
It's too complicated. It can't be from God. And Peter started walking away. But you know what Peter knew? I'm sure Peter was confused too. But one thing he knew. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He knew who the Lord was and he knew that his words was that which he was to abide in. Look at John 7, 7, chapter 7. You know one of the differences between churches that take the stand to be followers of the Lord? We will talk about doctrine. And I pray our attitude would be right. We don't we need to have a wrong attitude. We need to be patient. But churches that take this stand are very concerned and are willing to discuss differences. They want to know what the Lord says. John 7, 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. Now notice, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Did Jesus ever speak on his own authority? No, he wanted people to know that. And so as we talk about authority, the Lord talks about it. And again, I wish I just had two nights on this or three nights on this and go to the book of John and show you Jesus hammers this point home. And it's for us. You may say, well, Larry, that's just... I had one preacher, again, within Churches of Christ. One preacher goes, oh, that was just... That was just... Uh, that was just Jesus. He was deity and the Father was deity. That, that's just Jesus being with the Father. We can't be that. Okay. Let's look at a couple of verses. John chapter 8, verse 28. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He. Now notice again that I do nothing of myself. By the way, being lifted up is going to the cross. How did Jesus pray in Gethsemane? I got the liberty to do anything I want. Well, the Lord, not my will, but your will. And so he's saying, I am totally committed to the will of God. It's going to lead me to the cross that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. This is 1 Peter 4, 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Is that just for Jesus and the Father? Now keep reading. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. Look at verse 31. Notice what He shifts to now, us. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are My disciples of these. How should you abide in His Word? The same way Jesus abode in that same Word the Father gave Him. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And there's so many other verses. I, I, I get tempted. I'm, I'm going to show you one more verse if I could. I just, I did not in my outline. But look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I hope this will work. I use this with our students all the time. Look at John 12. But let's start with verse 48. We read this verse quite a bit. Uh, let's start with verse 47. Verse 46. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words 
and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, oftentimes we read verse 48, but notice verse 48 through 50. We have this same discussion. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, hath that which judgeth him, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Look at verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. These words that Jesus received are given to us. We do the very same thing that Jesus did. I want to tell you in recent uh, several months, I will run across people that won't argue me on this. And that's okay. I'm, I'm thankful. And I, I don't know everything. I, I think they would. I would present these verses to people. And they'd go, I see it. I have not yet to study with someone in covering these verses. And they not get that point. I'm sure there will be those that will. They'll fight. But, but look at John 14. Jesus says, He does not love me, does not keep my words. Verse 24. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now notice, the words were given from Father to Jesus. How do they get to us? You begin to see that there's a plan. The Holy Spirit now is going to receive these words. Verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Jesus is speaking to the apostles here. The apostles would receive the, the Holy Spirit in a perfect way where they would be, have the message delivered perfectly. Now notice, again, the context, John 16, I, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Now notice this. You've heard this language before? For He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. This sounds exactly what Jesus said he did. And now the Holy Spirit won't add to this. It's a perfect message. It's all truth. Why do we do this, brothers? Why do we insist on authority for everything we practice? Do we love to argue? Do we love to show ourselves to be smarter than everybody else? Is it about me, me, me? It better not be. I didn't cover all the verses, but Jesus said, you know why He did that? He wanted to glorify the Father. Because it's not about me. It's not about my ideas. I'm emptying myself. In verse 14, as the Holy Spirit takes the words that Jesus gave Him, guess what He does when He doesn't add to it? When He simply stays within it. He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. That's the core of what I believe this church would stand for. Now you may say, Larry, this church has got a lot to learn. We, we do. I got a lot to learn. But this is the core from which I learn and I make changes. To make the complete the whole cycle in Ephesians 3, we look at verse 5 
we read about how Paul indicated that it was the that that has now been revealed to the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Here we have the Father giving a message to the Son, giving these words to the Holy Spirit, and these words were given to holy apostles and prophets. And what happens is they were revealed. Verse three: How that by revelation he's made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so, now brethren, as humble as I can tell you, that's what I'm going to try to do. Am I sometimes inconsistent? Yep. Do I have more to learn? Yep. But if you can agree on this principle and I can agree on this principle, I want to tell you that is the basis. We've got to have this down or we can work out anything. And I'm going to tell you the implications of this. Very significant implications. Let's continue to talk about local churches. Again, I did a whole quarter on the, the place and work of the apostles, so I, I wish I could talk about it. But John 17 is very new to me. I mean, as, as I start looking at this verse and seeing God's eternal plan, John 17 is Jesus basically looking forward to coming back to the Father. In verses 1 through 5, he remembers the glory he had with the Father. He's looking forward to return to the Father. But the rest of the chapter is reviewing God's eternal plan. And I want you to notice the apostles were right in the middle of it. You, I worry today. You, this term you used to use years ago, apostolic. Do you hear people talking about that much anymore? Do you see people talk about apostolic doctrine, apostolic practice, apostolic work? We better understand who the apostles are and we better understand their place. We know nothing about Jesus without the apostles. In John 17 and verse 6 it says, I have manifested your name to the men you have given me. These, these apostles here. Yeah, that you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now I have known, now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. Sounds familiar? Apostles understood that. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. Jesus is now going to die. He's now going to ascend to heaven. And now the completion of God's plan is going to occur. It says, and they have received them, have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. And he goes on to describe that prayer. But get later on in this chapter, it comes down to us. We read all, throughout the book of John, even John 17, here the Jesus' relationship to the Father, Jesus' relationship to the apostles, and now you and I come into play. Verse 18, As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. What do, who do the apostles teach? He taught those in the first century, and those messages was written down, and it teaches us today. Verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What I believe verse 19 is talking about is exactly what we read where Jesus said over and over and over and over to his apostles, I'm only going to do what these words are given to me. I'm sanctifying, setting myself apart. I'm showing you how to be God's, how to glorify God. And now we come into picture in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. <clears throat> Salvation only comes through the apostles' words. The apostles and prophets. We know nothing about Jesus except for the apostles and prophets. 
that message is given to us today. And the early church was to follow that. Now, brethren, there's a lot of verses we're going to look at here. And again, the next time you read your New Testament, would you take note of this? Again, I could spend two classes on just this idea here. Each one of these ideas, sometimes I've taught an entire class on. So I'm giving you kind of a rushed study here. But the next time you read the epistles, whenever the church had any dispute about doctrine... Are you listening? The first question you should ask is what has been delivered? Notice that. Again, I'm going to give you just a few verses. 1 Corinthians 11, 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Paul praised them for... By the way, the word traditions literally means a handing down. This is divine traditions. But notice the controversy later on that occurred in, in, in later in chapter 11. Dealing with the assembly, dealing with the Lord's Supper and some things they were doing along with the Lord's Supper they shouldn't have been doing. And notice here, how do you resolve this question? And we can look at this in more detail later. I'm hoping tomorrow night to be more specific about church issues. I'm, I really want to concentrate on authority tonight. But 1 Corinthians 11.23 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And then he goes ahead and gives the example of the Lord instituting the Lord's Supper. Here he delivered to this church an example. And in that example, there was a right way to keep it. There was a wrong way to keep it. But the one thing they were to do is simply stay within that which was delivered. You see, when you believe it, you must have authority for all your teaching and practice. I want to tell you something. We have a much better way to resolve questions. It's not about your opinion or my opinion or what I like or what some tradition has been done, what it did in my family, what was done here. What we say, no, let's lay all that aside. Let's just see what's delivered. And it really helps. It really simplifies some things. And so, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, there's a question about the resurrection. People are saying the resurrection's passed. Well, guess what Paul said? What has been delivered? For I delivered to you. That of all which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, goes on and explains what He delivered. So again, I, I'm hoping everybody here tonight agrees on this. Because we can agree on this and nail this point down. I used to have studies. Remember I telling you last night that one of the mistakes I think we make sometimes together <coughs> is we rush too far and too fast into the point of disagreement without first looking at what we agree on. And I can remember in my background, I did that, even ignorantly I did that. But when we can really nail this point down, there's a way we can work from our point of agreement to our point of disagreement, and I think we can do a much better job of resolving questions. Actually, 42, again, it's another Jericho sermon. <laughs> I mentioned last night, Jericho sermon when you march around the same point seven times and then shout. So well, I'm really going to be making a point over and over again, but there's various ways to make it. And I've really found as we deal with these kind of things, let's make sure we've got this foundation. What did the early church do? Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Look at Ephesians 2.20. Why does this church exist? We better be found on a certain foundation, a unique foundation. And it says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 
Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And so again, that's why we exist. Now, you know what? I don't know what's going on in every other church. I don't know what's going on in every other church of Christ. You know what I do? I try to deal with where I live and who I know and churches that I might have some relationship with. Certainly church I'm a member of. And I want to make sure that whoever I'm around, like we're doing tonight, we build on this foundation. And again, again, Jericho point number two here. Notice we remember talking about delivered, received, preached. Let's talk about the plan of salvation. How about the purpose of baptism? Why is that so important? Well, it's the gospel. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? Notice here in Galatians 1. Here they were perverting the gospel by saying you've got to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. In the context, that's what this is talking about. But notice again the perversion of the gospel. But if even we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, now notice this, then that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so say I now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then that which you have received, let him be accursed. It goes, it goes right back. And you see, the next time you do some reading, notice this. There's a lot more verses. And it really does give us encouragement of how to work out our differences. And so Acts 15.24 is another example of where, again, they were meeting about, do you have to be circumcised, keep the law? Notice the reasoning here. They, they did give evidence. There was a lot of discussion in Acts 15. But notice the conclusion. Since we have heard that some went out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law. What was wrong with this? To whom we gave no such commandment. Okay. That's, that's how we solve problems. Stay within what is revealed. And, and, and again, I won't tell you, I'm not telling you every problem is easy to answer. Acts 15 was a tough place. There was some strong contention. But this is how we solve problems. And, okay, we're going to have a question session tonight. And again, I, I'm not going to cover everything we could on this, but I, I want to, I'm laying some foundations. And I want to talk about to you some mistakes I've made, some things that come up, how these things can help us. But how do we apply the truths? Let me take a step back. There is a major movement that's occurring within churches of Christ. That Where the name? Again, are they in the body of Christ? That's between them and the Lord. They have names on the sign. But it's called the progressive movement, and there's a large church in the area I met with uh, the preacher there. He's the editor of Wineskins Magazine uh, and their youth minister. And we talked very frankly for about two hours a few months ago. And he would deny that we need authority for that we teach and practice. They would very strongly argue against it. And I respect them for it. They have that belief and they argue against it. I'm looking forward to having a detailed study with them. He's very busy. I've been very busy. We haven't done it. But one of the things that, brethren, that hold this view, they would deny there's to be a uniform practice amongst churches. They would basically say that you would have your choice of how you worship. You would have your choice of organization. You would have your choice of how you conduct the work of the church. And that's generally really what the religious world does, don't they? Just some sense glorify God and make your choices, and there's no right or wrong. But to go back to, let's look at Paul writing to the Corinthians. There were various issues dealt with, but notice this theme. 
It says, For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ. Now notice this. As I teach everywhere in every church. So in other words, if Paul was at Jerusalem, predominantly Jewish church, he's going to teach the same thing. If he's in Corinth, the predominantly Gentile church, he's going to teach the same thing. Wherever he's at, whatever place he is, he's teaching the same thing. Why? Well, let's keep looking. First Corinthians seven seventeen. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. Takes the same thing in all churches. Notice First Corinthians eleven sixteen. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Here in this context, there's a contentious man that Paul is contrasting to, and he says, we, or the churches of God, we practice a uniform practice contrasted to this man. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, very similar. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches. Later on in verse 35, And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now again, we've got to study this context. We've got to talk about what it means, and we can do that. But for right now, I'm wanting you to notice a uniform practice. What he was telling Corinth to do, he would tell Jerusalem to do, he would tell Antioch to do, he would tell Troas to do. This was a uniform practice. Why? Here's why. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 14, very significant verse. We need to be very careful how we handle it because this is not just some opinion. You know, I've got brethren right now, again, I didn't really include this in this outline, but there are brethren today say, oh, you know, what happened? In 1 Corinthians 14, that was really reflection of that culture and Paul was regulating the culture. We don't have that culture today and so really these things don't apply to us. Is that what Paul did? Really? Uh, verse 37, in the context. Is that somebody wants to argue about what he just said? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. I, I tell you, I worry. Right now, it's, again, in the progressive movement, they, they use this argument on cultural context, and they, it's just like some parts of the Bible don't even exist anymore. And I don't say that to be extreme or to slander somebody. There are people close to me that have bought into that. And it's almost like they don't stand for anything anymore. And I could talk, again, this not the thrust of the study tonight. So let's bring some conclusions and some personal applications if we could. Again, we're more dealing with foundations here. Jude verse 3. Notice again. Here's a verse. Have you noticed this in this verse? Look at this. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, finish it, which was once for all delivered to the saints. We have everything that God wants us to have. And brethren, it's challenging. You take 1 Corinthians. Take 1 Corinthians 14. Take 1 Corinthians 11. Take some of these verses. Brethren, I want to tell you, it'll humble us. I don't have every answer to every question of those verses. I mean, there's a challenge. God did give a message for what we can understand. There's one thing to say that we should do it. The other thing in practice, we need to be humble as we practice it. But what the Lord wants us to do is stand on that. 
I will tell you, the stand that I take, there are not many churches that let me endure. Because that's not the stand they're taking. And again, I can't, I'm not the judge of everybody on this, but I'm, there's not the group that stands on this, they would be willing to talk to you, wouldn't they? I'll never forget when I was at this church years ago, I started people questioning their teaching. And I'll never forget going into Brother Reed's office, who was the preacher at that time. And I said, Brother Reed, would you, st- I'm very concerned about some of the differences amongst brethren, and would you study with me and Aubrey Ballou? And that's all I got out. He started screaming at me. Aubrey Ballou, I don't have time to study that. And all these things people do. They, and and it was, I was shocked. And I ended up leaving that church. That led me to the Lord. And it was hard. But the one thing that I've been determined to do wherever I'm at is I'm going to be willing to study with you. I'm going to be willing to talk to you. I'm going to listen to you. And I hope you'll listen to me. Sometimes we get into arguments, but don't listen to one another. Amen. John 17, the Bible says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm hoping we've made you think again about the apostles and their work. If Here's the point. Can we agree on this? If I have a teaching and someone challenges it, and I cannot give you authority for that teaching, and I mean book, chapter, and verse, and can reason from that, then I'm going to give it up. Would you do the same thing? If there's a practice that I believe a local church ought to be a part of, then what I need to do is I need to give you book, chapter, and verse of that practice and show you the reason why that should be done. But if I can't do that, you know what I'm willing to do? I'm willing to give it up. You have people agree on that? I want to tell you, that will push you in a direction to make, to solve some questions. Let me talk to you about some things I've done in the past. I've done every one of these in the past. When I first became a Christian, I didn't understand authority. Sometimes people, you know, like somebody wanting to study and they want to work out differences and I need to make change. You know, a lot of people are afraid. Sometimes people are afraid because they're afraid to study. And sometimes people will call people names. You're, you're, you're making laws. You're a legalist. You're a hypocrite. You're whatever. There's a lot of terms we use. We need to be careful with that. If you tell me what a legalist is and you want to tell me I'm that and you want to explain to me while I'm doing that, I'll listen to you. I'm not saying that you can't say that I'm doing wrong, but sometimes people just make labels because they get angry and they get frustrated. Another one is, well, we got to practice. Some people will say, well, you know, in order for this practice to be wrong, you've got to prove to me it's wrong. Now, by the way, if you can prove that something's wrong, that's a valid way of reasoning. But, but here's the point I'm making. I've had, I mean, I think I did this myself, actually. I remember I used to, I remember I actually did approach Aubrey for study. Approach Bill Hall for study. I remember getting with Bill, with, with Bill Hall. I had all these debate notes I read. And I'm saying, you guys are making laws where God made none. And I might quote Romans 4.15. It says, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. By the way, this verse is talking about 
why God could judge man. It's not really rebuking brethren for making laws. Acts 15 would be one that does that. And so people could do that. But let me go back here, if I can figure out how to go backwards in my PowerPoint here. Here's the point. Number one, if I'm contending for practice, I must give authority. Whether or not somebody could adequately deny it and oppose it is not enough. I must get authority. And see, that's what I used to want brethren to do. I said, well, you've got to prove to me this is wrong. No, I needed to prove to them that it was right. Do you understand what I'm saying? There, there is a place where people can make laws where God make none. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. That does happen. Notice another one. Uh, number three. To say that a brother's inconsistency makes a practice allowable. My inconsistency is not your authority. Now, by the way, brethren, you are my friend. If you show me my inconsistency, I know I got some, okay? So there, there's nothing wrong with, hey, brother, you're inconsistent. Nothing wrong with that. But my inconsistency doesn't establish authority. You've got to do that. I like Romans 3, 4, where it says, let God be true and every man a liar. <laughs> Did you know that this was done toward Jesus? People use this argument toward Jesus. They use this argument toward, toward others. And so, again, there's a place to talk about consistency. I think in debates it's very valid. Brother, you're inconsistent, you're saying this, and you're doing this and this. So, so in, inconsistency is a valid discussion. But you first must give authority for practice, okay? Um, let's go to another one. Yeah, Mark 12. Let me show you how they did this to Jesus. You know what Jesus taught? He taught there was going to be a general resurrection of the dead. By the way, Jesus came into this world and bore witness of, it, of the heavenly things. He's God in the flesh. He knew what he was talking about. But listen to this. Rather than look at Scripture, you see, if we use an argument from inconsistency to close Scripture, we're making a mistake. Look at Mark chapter 12, verse 18. And then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses, us, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, let's stop just for a moment. Notice the people who are raising the hypothetical. They do not believe in the resurrection. And so they wanted to establish that belief in the resurrection is not true. Notice how they do it. They come up with a, a passage in the Old Testament about taking a wife, and they give, go on, and they've got seven brothers. They all took this, this wife, and they all died. You might want to check her cooking. I don't know. If I just, there was death in the pot or something like that. You know, again, we don't know. You know this, this, this hypothetical how these, all these people died. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and dying, left no offspring, and finally, they all died. Then here's the question. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. And they're looking, grinning at Jesus, thinking, you're inconsistent. You know what Jesus does? What we all do. I may be inconsistent. So you, know, you tell me I'm inconsistent. I said, maybe. Tell my brother may be inconsistent. I say, yes, we are. <laughs> and we won't be better. We won't be better. We're inconsistent. We won't be better. But look at verse 24. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken? Because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Notice what Jesus says next. 
Here's the question about the resurrection of the dead. Now when they rise from the dead, they neither marry or given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, listen to this. Have you not read in the book of Moses? In the burning bush passage. So he, he drags in the scripture. Understand what I'm saying. But you see, let me tell you what I used to do. I'll tell you what I used to do. I wanted to defend this church and my brethren as bad as I could. And what I decided to do, I call it the clouds of dust defense. Rather than work from a common agreement and work to the disagreement, I tried to, as somebody was studying, you're inconsistent. You need to do this. What about this? What about that? And I jump all around. I throw clouds of dust up. It was very confusing. And then I finally say, this is too complicated. This can't be, this can't be God's will. It's too complicated. You know what? It was confusing. You know why it was confusing? We didn't have a core agreement. We didn't have a core to work from. And I was directing away from the Scripture, away from the Scripture, away from the Scripture. I wasn't looking at Scripture. There is not a topic in the Bible that you can't make confusing if you want to play that defense. I call it the clouds of dust defense. But you know what? If you really want to solve the question, you see, that I think I, there's some brethren like you study baptism. They can make that complex. And you know why they must make it complex? Because they don't, in this case, some don't want to believe it. And so I, I got tired of that. I'm going to tell you, I don't like the fuss of getting a bunch of people together. What did I do? What did I do? And we just end up just eyes are cross-eyed. And, and we and going, there's a better way. There's a better way here. Let's start from our point of agreement. Let's listen to one another. Let's work step by step. And you know what? Let me tell you another thing. I, I'll talk about this Friday night. But you know, there are some points we can disagree on and still work together. As I'm not forcing myself on you and you on me. I'm not saying that's true of every subject. But you know, I've learned that some people are different levels of experience and understanding. Sometimes I'm, I patiently work with somebody as we, I try to be very careful. And again, so much we talk about here. And I guess I've got to this about being complicated. The one thing I want to do is go back to the Word. I believe with all my heart that if you have the fruit of the Spirit and you're fighting the works of the flesh, you want to know the truth and I want to know the truth. I respect you and I listen to you. I believe we can work out any problem there is. In John 7, 17, it says, If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. And my conclusion is this. Let's give authority for our practice. Let us commit to giving book, chapter, and verse for all that we teach and do. We've got to have this. But I want to tell you, as I say, the religious world thinks we are kind of, well, like I say, extreme in taking that stand. I believe the stand's right. Now, as we have scheduled to do, we're going to now have a question and answer session. I have some written questions that have been handed to me. I've got another PowerPoint that I'm going to look at. And by the way, tomorrow night I want to get into 
the foundations of how you would determine <coughs> passages that would relate to local churches and what they should and should not do. So there's some controversies, even some in this question, that I'm not going to address today. I'm going to address tomorrow night. But there's most of them I can. And again, I, I, again I'm trying to build on a foundation. There's some questions that we haven't studied yet we need to talk about before we talk about what a local church does or doesn't do. There's still some more study. All right, here's some questions. How do you determine which commands and examples apply to us today? Like foot washing or holy kiss compared to weekly contribution or assembling on the first day of the week and the Lord's Supper? These are great questions. And what I do is whatever subject I'm talking about, I want to take all the verses in the Bible on that subject. I want to rightly divide the word. You know, like if you had the case of foot washing, you find that in the Old Testament as well as the New. And, and you can determine from that that this was a, a customary practice that was a necessity dealing with the fact they walked back and forth and so on. And, and that, you know, that was, that, we can understand that. Again, if we had disagreement on that, we'd talk about it. But when we take all the verses, same thing. Now, we talk about the weekly contribution. And I will talk about that tomorrow night more specifically. You, you find that falling within the revealed words of the apostles. And you find that local churches did not exist to the New Testament. There was a, a pattern or, or the apostles' doctrine that was delivered. And so what I take all the verses I can on the weekly contribution and harmonize those. We'll try to do some of that tomorrow night, but I'm just giving you the, the process of what examples apply to us, what do not. And so that's how I do that. I, I know there have been books written on when is a proof example binding. There's a lot of questions. And, and here's what I do. Take everything God says. Take examples. Take commands. Uh, there's conclusions we can draw from those. Let's be very humble about our conclusions. I really want necessary conclusions. Uh, there's possible conclusions we can look at. We can look at weight of evidence. But that's what I do. There's some things that would be unique to the first century. Some would be unique to that culture. Again, I'm not denying culture context can exist, but that that, that is not a always a major. There there's some examples of that we can clearly know that it's it's in that category. Uh, before I go to the next question, any follow-up questions to that? <coughs> And that's one we could spend a lot of time talking about. And, and, and I remember when I first was studying these questions, that was one question I asked Brother Hall. And he says, when is a proof example binding? <laughs> Rather than saying when the proof example is binding, I'm, I'd really ask the question, well, how can I clearly be found in the authority of God? And that's where examples have a, have a very powerful... I remember talking about... Again, I, I can talk about this tomorrow night because I, I really want to set up some other things. Okay, second question. How do you determine if an example is forbidding all other actions or allowing other actions? All right, I'm going to go into this a little bit. Am I actually going to talk about one of the things that I think that, that we want to study? Um, I'm going to pull another outline. And by the way, if you um, wanted to go to my AU Beacon and find the Apostles study, I have audio and so on of that. We took, like I say, three months to study this. <laughs> but um, but here, let's take the Lord's Supper as an example. Now, again, you may disagree with me on this. Most of the New Testament is example. There are few universal commands in the New Testament. How you handle an example is very crucial to understanding God's Word. 
Notice 1 Corinthians 11. Again, I'm welcome to be challenged on this. But look at this. What did Paul deliver to Corinth? It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he is betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Notice, what did Paul deliver? He delivered an example. Let that sink in. There's a right way to handle an example. There's a wrong way to handle an example. He delivered this, and what they ended up doing is they ended up, um, uh, again, you can read the rest of the verse, but they ended up having a common meal, evidently brought it in with the, with the, uh, uh, in the assembly. Let me talk to you about some concepts. I don't care if you want to use the word general authority or specific authority. I really don't care if you use those words or not. Amen. But let me tell you the concept I think we all can agree on. If the Lord tells us to do something, everything essential to doing that thing is authorized, right? If we're to take, let's say, of the fruit of the vine, guess what we can do? We can use a container. If we've got the bread, guess what we can do? We, we have to find a way either buy the bread or cook the bread. But we find a way to get bread. And so as we begin to look at passages like this example, there's specific authority, things specified. What are we to partake of? Unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. Did the Lord command you must only use unleavened bread for that? No, no, no. It's an example. And they evidently, again, I don't know all aspects of what they did, but evidently brought a common meal in with the, with the Lord's Supper and the assembly and created confusion. And what Paul said in this verse, verse 17, said when you come together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. There is a way to handle an example. Stay within the example. Now you've all, all your life have heard, heard discussions like this. What if we put hamburger and Coca-Cola for the elements of the Lord's Supper? Even the most inexperienced Bible student that has a little knowledge of the Lord's Supper, they would say, that would be wrong. i say, well, can you give me a verse that says, thou shalt not? And they'd argue with me, don't have to. Look at what it says. And so what I'm going to do when I have an example delivered, I'm going to carefully stay within that example. I could go too far and maybe be more restricted than the Lord intended. That's okay. Guess what I'm doing? I'm staying within an example. It's unquestionably right. But then we can put some things in that's not found in that example. And we can create trouble. And so again, we talk about examples. There are some examples that are not binding, as for instance, like, you know, people say, well, they met in the upper room. That's right. They met in that place. A few examples show that. I have to weigh that. I have to look at overall all the verses. Uh, I, you know, I, Jesus said it doesn't matter in John 4, the place which you worship. And so guess what? There is some reasoning, brethren. I recognize sometimes some of my brethren got some weird ideas. They think I've got some weird ideas, and we try to work through that. But let us collectively, what we do collectively... Let it be unquestionably that which every one of us can agree upon. 
You may say, well, why did the Lord give examples? Isn't there some confusion that comes by that? You know what I believe the Lord does? I, I look in His ministry. Remember in John uh, where uh, they, the, the, there was the people discovering who Jesus is? And there's one case, they said, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And they go, could any good thing come out of Nazareth? Do you know why they raised that question? The Scriptures indicate that Jesus was going to come out of Bethlehem. And that appeared to be a contradiction. You know what? Jesus never corrected that before those people. He let them struggle. In time, we with the complete Scripture can know the answer. But I do believe the Lord wants us, as we come together as a church, to struggle with applications. Could we make this agreement to always collectively, clearly do what everyone would agree is right? And if there's some questions, why don't we not do that? Why don't we always do things that we clearly know? And so the Lord specifies certain things that excludes others. General authority, even though something's not named, it could be authorized. When I say general authority, the Lord tells us to do something, everything essential, doing those things are included. If you don't like those terms, you know, I think everyone agrees with that concept. And so um, I think we've covered most of that question. Again, again, I was talking about examples. Like I said, we could spend weeks on that study. But that, that, those are some of the basic concepts that I would use in dealing with that. Okay, the next question is how do you determine when a necessary inference is okay or not okay? Okay, I don't want to be trivial in the answer, but if it's a necessary inference, it's necessary. <laughs> now, now, here's our problem. It's a necessary inference, and somebody goes, mm, no, it's not. <laughs> there are other possibilities. And so, you know, sometimes we call things necessary inferences that may not be necessary, okay? And guess what we got to do? Got to talk about it. Got to talk about it. And there's some conclusions I draw. I will tell you, I no longer use the term necessary inference. I talk about the weight of the evidence. You may say, well, Larry, what about that? I said, well, yeah, I, I think there's some verses. That's what I do. Maybe I'm weak and maybe you know more than I do, but uh, not every one of the conclusions I teach are necessary, and sometimes I'll teach them that way. I say, here's the evidence. I think there's strong evidence. Think about it. <coughs> the next question I'm dealing with tomorrow night. Helpful? Other questions you have? Any other questions we want to raise tonight? This should be humbling. As I can remember, I'll let me tell you. I remember when I started studying these things. I was a new Christian. I felt like a ping pong ball. I would study. I'd talk with somebody, and they'd give me these arguments. I'd see these debate notes. All right, I've got it all solved, and I'd go see Aubrey. <laughs> oh man! Oh, he's got some points. Oh, why? Wait, wait. This seems right. And I'd go read some other material. And, and I'll tell you, I was a new Christian, and, and I will tell you, it was confusing. But you know why it was confusing? It's because there was a lot of sources that I was looking at, and I was a young Christian. I didn't even understand the question of instrumental music at that time. And there were times I stopped studying because I just got wore out. I just got I just got discouraged. But you know what I always did? I came back to Scripture because I wanted brethren to be united. And ultimately what I found out, there was one group of brethren willing to study and the other wouldn't. 
I never got a single individual from the university church at that time to stand with me in a Bible study with somebody who disagreed. And that let me see. There are brethren trying and there are brethren that are not. And trying, again, I may be inconsistent, but I'm trying. And I think if we believe to these principles, then we will be put in places, humbling places, that we try to find a way to work together. And I still have a lot of questions to ask. I see Kevin back there. I've been tempted to throw Kevin up here, but just is joking that yeah, there, there, there. We get in these questions. Anybody with experience, we we know that uh, there, there, there's a challenge. And let's be humble. We good? Okay. I feel good about what we've covered. Let let us do. Like I say, let, let's make sure we all got that commitment to get book, chapter, and verse, and then uh, I think good things will come. Uh, let's extend the invitation. Invitation for Jesus as Lord. An invitation of become a slave. You talk about the ugliness of slavery. It's been very interesting. I've been studying history, history recently. The history of Washington and Jefferson and some Civil War generals. And it just breaks my heart to see the cruelty. What men can do to others is astounding to me. But I will tell you what, we've got an invitation to be. We've got an invitation to be a slave of the Lord. And you know what the Lord does? He leads us beside the still waters. He satisfies our soul. Our cup runs over. And being a slave to the Lord is where I can lay aside everything else and trust my Lord who does nothing but good to me. But just as Jesus said today in our study, you want to have a relationship with the Father? Your ideas cast aside. Your ways cast aside. If you don't find it in the will of God, you do nothing. Ooh, we're stubborn. That's hard. But if we're willing to do that, the Lord will take you places you never dreamed, but you'll be blessed, you'll suffer. But there's great things that come from trusting the Lord. We urge you, if you've not become a Christian, we'd love to baptize you into Christ this evening, help you in any way. Would you come as we stand and sing?